Welcome, whether you're joining us this morning or whether you're joining us this evening. I'm going to be carrying on the series that Nigel started, which is to keep calm and carol on. You don't know how many times I had to record this message because I kept saying keep calm and carry on, like one of the carry on films. But no, it's to keep calm and carol on. A series of kind of short films, videos, looking at familiar carols and what they might mean for us in this season, 2020. And they're going to be released on Sundays and Wednesdays. But on Sundays, we're just going to take a little bit longer just to think and consider these carols and what we can learn from them and the story of the nativity on which they're based. And today we're looking at the carol, God Rest, You Merry Gentlemen. It was going to be a prayer, a hope, That God would make us merry, that he would make us strong, that he would make us joyful. And as Nigel explains in his clip, nothing to do with with getting drunk at all. But before kind of rushing into this carol, I just felt challenged just in kind of my my pastoral role. Just to kind of throw out a, a kind of a few thoughts as we kind of come into this season. And we'll apply this to this carol. You know, the, the stories in the nativity is a bit like this, um, this, this stocking. Katie loves to give the children stocking. I think the children prefer what they get in their stockings than they actually get in their presents. I mean, there's no surprise. I mean, look at the size of it. It's like larger than me. And Katie does a kind of traditional, puts orange and some kind of chocolate coins in. And she just crams it full of stuff. So when the children come in the morning, they, they look and they've got things sticking their heads out or the top of the the stocking and uh, and I was thinking about it it's a bit like the story of the nativity the story of the nativity as we find particularly in the gospels written in Matthew and Luke I just crammed full of things in some ways we're familiar with some of the stories like the three kings and the shepherds and obviously Mary and Joseph and the baby and the stable and then the stories that we're less likely to read at Christmas like Herod killing off all the children beneath the ages of two and Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus escaping to Egypt for a few years. But we got all these stories crammed into our stocking. And I felt like God just said two things. Let's let's open the stocking and firstly find ourselves in the story. Find ourselves in this nativity story. Because in the nativity story, we find all the emotions we find joy you've got the shepherds and the angels appearing and say you know joy to the world and Nigel touched on that and that would have been amazing the shepherds as underdogs having attention drawn to them we got things like loss when you have all the children killed Joseph at some point when it was when Mary first told him that she was expecting a child was in some ways a loss that wasn't what he was expecting at that point in time. You find stories of people on a journey like the wise men. On a journey but uncertainty. And maybe that's where you're at. You get single people. You get married people. You get young. You get old. You get the poor like the shepherds. You get the rich like the wise men. Whatever stage of life that you are in at the moment. Whatever feelings are going through you, be there. Joy at the shepherds. Be it like Mary, where she sings what's called the Magnificent 
in Luke. And maybe there's concern. Maybe there's fear from the uncertain season that we're in. You find this all in the story. And my first challenge to you is find yourself in the story and learn from the story. And secondly, take time to be still and contemplate. You know, we love to sing that um, another carol. Oh, come, let us adore him. And the only really way to come and adore is to contemplate. The dictionary definition of contemplation is the act of looking thoughtfully at something for a long time. A deep, reflective thought to gaze. And I felt God was challenging me and, and through me to challenge us in this season as we come to the story of the nativity. To slow down a bit, find ourselves in the story. And secondly, to be still and to contemplate. To think deeply about this story for a long time. That this will be crucial for us in this season. And contemplation starts with just stilling oneself. And that might be quite difficult. Some of the situations you might be in, it might be quite difficult. Lots of things are just happening around you. But stilling our insides. We might not be able to steal the outside, what's kind of bombarding us. The noise. The things that are clamouring for attention. But learning just to still ourselves. And there's lots of different ways of doing that. One of those ways is just to begin just to kind of relax. Even now you can begin to still yourself. Begin just to take deep breaths. I was doing this recently with somebody and they said, you know, take like six seconds to breathe in and six seconds to breathe out. I wasn't sure what I was going to just... I just needed to gasp for air sooner than that at some point. But I began to slow down and I felt my whole body just begin to relax. And maybe as you do that just now, just begin to relax and then begin just to contemplate, to focus in and just gaze, particularly at Jesus in this story as a baby. This practice, this ancient practice of contemplation, people have been doing for hundreds of years. And just gazing. I heard of somebody recently who went to a, a monastery and observed kind of some of the monks doing this contemplation prayer where they just seem to just sit there in kind of God's presence. They're going to the chapel and just sit there. They wouldn't say anything, they would just sit there. And he couldn't really understand how they could just go and just sit. And uh, he was sharing this with his wife who had just recently had a baby. And uh, she said, you know, I think I understand. She said, since our newborn arrived, I just go to her crib and I just look at her. She doesn't have to do a thing. She doesn't even have to be awake. I am so utterly fascinated that I don't know where time goes. And I'm kind of familiar with that, you know, as I just think about my children, obviously a lot older. I remember when they were younger, I was thinking particularly at Hannah because of uh, her being our, our oldest. And just being there and just kind of gazing, just going in and checking and gazing and looking at her. This kind of new father's experience contemplation in its natural sense when we're totally absorbed with what we see. It's an experience of being present in the moment, unconscious of time around us. Deep contemplation draws us momentarily into the realm of eternity. 
the eternal realm that transcends time. We kind of shift on communicating to God in speech to communicating with God just through gaze. And I feel that's what we need to do is just to stop and to gaze at this story again, to contemplate this story again. Contemplate the baby Jesus again. This is meant to be a season of awe and wonder. Contemplate who he is and particularly in relation to what we're going to be looking at today. Contemplate why he came. It's in that place, however you picture Jesus, however you picture the nativity, just be still and contemplate it. Come to that place in awe and wonder again. Which sometimes is hard because we're so familiar with the story that mentally we can just skip through it. And as we look at that baby, maybe just ask yourself, maybe ask God again. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? And I'd get you maybe in the chat box. I know that there's some deep and long answers that you could give. But maybe just jot in the chat box right now. I'm just going to give like a, a few seconds. Just write, why did Jesus come? And there's actually quite a few answers that you could give. And they're, they're all true. But one of the answers I want to focus in on today is one of the reasons that Jesus came was to deliver us from evil. So you get verses like this that you find in 1 John 3 verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Or sometimes they put, for this purpose Christ was revealed. To destroy the devil's work. We also read this and it's often called like Jesus' manifesto. And we find this in Luke chapter 4, reading at verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So as we look at this baby... Let us gaze a little bit deeper, beyond just skin depth, beyond all the cows and the sheeps and Mary and Joseph. This is why the baby came, to destroy the devil's work. To come in the spirit and proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That's why he's here. And I'd encourage you, if we had more time, I'd just say, let's just spend a minute or two just even just mulling over those verses as we gaze upon Jesus. That's why he's here. Destroy the devil's work. So what exactly are the devil's work? Now, several passages in the Bible kind of give us some answer or some indication of what that might mean. But Jesus gives a very clear and concise answer in John chapter 8. Verse 44, Jesus in confronting the religious leaders of, of that time says to them, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and a father of lies. 
and the, sorry, and the Father of lies. According to Jesus, some of the, the works of the devil are murder and lying. These are kind of like two sins that are kind of summarizing the, the character and the nature and the goals of Satan. He wants to see people destroyed. See, God wants us to enter into the fullness of everything he has for us. The reason why he made us. Our original design and purpose before sin came along and marred us. And Satan wants to do the very opposite. So in a sense, Satan wants to murder us. He wants to murder that which we were meant and called to be. And secondly, Satan wants to, desires to deceive us into destruction. And he does that through lying. By giving us lies about who we are. Lies about our situations. Lies about who we are. And I think this happens in every season, but I'm particularly aware of it in this season, where maybe we're in a bit, bit more of a kind of pressure cooker environment, where some of the purposes of Satan have just become so more real and evident, where he's trying to cause us to live and think and dream from a place of fear, of hopelessness, of feeling bound and limited. But this is the very reason why Jesus came to destroy that. And Satan was very aware that was one of the reasons why Jesus came to destroy his work. He, in some ways, was aware of that prophecy that we find in Genesis 3, verse 15. This is what God said to Adam and Eve. He said, I will put enmity between you, he's saying about the, the serpent devil and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right from there, God was saying somebody was going to come that would destroy Satan. And Satan was very aware of that verse. Actually, Genesis 3 verse 15 is sometimes called the Proto-Evangelium. It's a term that signifies the idea. This is the first gospel proclamation that we find in the Bible. Where sin had come in and marred things and ruined things right there. The declaration that somebody was going to come that was going to destroy the works of Satan. Destroy the works of sin. Redemption. And that's what we mean by, what I mean by the word redemption. In the dictionary it says the action of saving or being saved from sin. The action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing of debt. This is why Jesus was coming. To destroy to redeem us, to save us, to regain us. And Satan didn't want that. And that's one of the reasons why Satan came and you, that passage you don't often read, where Herod, Satan used Herod to try to destroy Jesus right at the birth by having every child underneath the age of two in Bethlehem killed. So while the story of the nativity might seem quaint to some, a kind of clean, beautiful stable, lovely sheep, star-filled skies, Jesus' reason for coming to earth was anything but cute and cuddly. This was the beginning of a battle that started in the Garden of Eden between good and evil, life and death, life in all its fullness and a life of emptiness. 
it was a supernatural battle. Not just a flesh and blood, but at the very core for our souls, for our thoughts, for our hearts, for our minds. This was literally a battle to the death for our life, for the restoration of all things. And in the Gospels, as we begin to read about the life of Jesus, in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we begin to see some of the outworking of that. To see the principalities, the values, the consequences, the outcomes of the power of darkness, confronted by a greater power that's outworking itself through Jesus. This is the underlying story that plays itself out through the stories in the Gospels. This is seen by lives and people as they encounter Jesus being transformed. One of my highlights of the first lockdown was seeing a series and called The Chosen. You can watch it on YouTube. And for me, it brought kind of new life to very familiar stories. And you see in these stories from the Bible, this aspect of lives being confronted and changed and never being the same again. You know, some of my favorite ones is Mary Magdalene, who we know was possessed by demons, who had kind of lost a sense of who she was. She, she didn't origin, lost her original name. And Jesus comes along and speaks Mary and speaks healing and speaks transformation. You see Peter the fisherman, Matthew the tax collector, as they encounter Jesus, their values, their purpose, their meaning, the lies that they had held on to and believed, changed. We also see in the Gospels, and you see this also in the Chosen, the demonstration of God's power through miracles of healing, deliverance, and ultimately people being raised from the dead. And that's still happening. If I had time, I just, um, I oversee a guy called Amir's. He's based in Ethiopia, and they've just been doing some training in the last week. And stories of healing after healing, and deliverance after deliverance. And I will share some of these stories in my next newsletter. But these are not just stories from like 2,000 years ago. These are stories that are happening now. So as we come this morning, this evening, in this season of Christmas, like I said right at the beginning, let's slow down and contemplate this story. In our time, in our context. Because as we do that, it should begin to release hope and joy. A bit like that song says, let us be merry, comma, gentlemen, gentlewoman. Because things, because of what we're reflecting on this story, are beginning to change. To use one last illustration, it's like the story of C.S. Lewis' book about Narnia. And uh, the lion, the witch and the wardrobe. And if you ever read the book or seen the film, the life of Narnia, the land of Narnia, is trapped in ice. People bound and oppressed. Then Aslan, the lion that represents Jesus, appears and begins to move. And this is what we hear and we discover in the story of the Nativity. Aslan has come. And in the book and in the film, you see that the ice and snow begins to melt. The Saviour is coming. Our Redeemer is coming. Fiends will never be the same again. Fiends can change. And that's why we can be joyful. That's why we can be merry. 
That's why we can be happy within our circumstances, however difficult our circumstances may be. Because there's a larger and a bigger narrative that's going on. The narrative that was prophesied in Genesis is now being outworked in the life of Jesus. This baby that we're looking at, this baby that we are considering in this season. And this narrative of redemption and restoration, these truths and principles happen now. And that's why it's important to come back to those practices I said right at the beginning. Firstly, find yourself in the story today. If you're not sure, ask God. If you're not sure, just take some time and read the first few chapters of Matthew, the first few chapters of Luke. Find yourself. Once you've found yourself, find Jesus as it relates to you. And take time to contemplate. Take time to gaze, to really gaze. Look beyond just the baby. Look beyond that and see the one who's the redeemer, the savior. Not just of the world, because that's easy to kind of look at and kind of, and that is true. But he's the redeemer and the savior of your world. Whatever situation you're in today. And as you allow yourself to gaze and allow yourself to contemplate that truth and the reality. Who it is that has come. And why he's come. And you allow that to flow into your story. Then it changes everything. Christ has come. And there's no turning back. Hallelujah. So I'm just going to pray for you and for me today. God, I thank you that you came. And in some ways, God, you keep coming. You keep coming into our lives, Lord, when we invite you, when we allow the truth of who you are and why you came to permeate our lives, God. And Lord, as I said, Lord, you came for many different reasons. But one of them, Lord, was to destroy the works of the evil one. To set the captives free, to open eyes, to let the lame walk, God. To restore those areas of our life, Lord, that are broken. To bring us to the place, Lord, where just hope and joy, Lord, can spring up, God. All over our life, all over our relationships, all over our situations. The ones we are in currently... And the ones that as we look ahead into this month, Lord, into this season, you can break into as we invite you into that. So Lord, let hope and courage and joy arise in us today. Help us to contemplate you deeply this season. And Lord, you say that those who seek you, those who gaze upon you, those who pursue you, will find you. 